Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 481 with Chef Ted Torres. Sometimes you can't give them room for error as far as making it so simple, making it easy for them to like follow along that then things could slip through the cracks if you make it more complicated. I think you get complicated once the team has been together for a while, then you can start adding a little bit more uh, challenges, a little bit more level of difficulty into implementing some processes because of the team that's been together long. But at the beginning, the initial thing, you have to make it as simple and as easy as possible. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. What's sorcery? Sorcery is AP automation, digital invoicing, and time and money saved. That's Sorcery. Sorcery allows you to streamline and digitize your entire account's payable operation. Digital invoicing backed with human verification will save you countless hours of work and increase AP accuracy. Say goodbye to your file cabinets and enter the digital world. Go to GetSorcery.com. That's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com or call 1-866-830-0691. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you will receive 10% off your first three months with no setup fees. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000, apply online, and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable you can get a $50 gift card when you qualify that's cabbage with a k line of credit is subject to credit approval see terms and conditions all cabbage business loans are issued by celtic bank a utah chartered industrial bank member fdic with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest chef ted torres chef are you feeling unstoppable today Yes, sir. I'm feeling unstoppable. (laughs) Yes. So Chef Ted Torres earned his associate's degree at the restaurant school at Walnut Hill College in 1998. After graduation, he got after it working for some of Philadelphia's most well-known restaurateurs. After working over 10 years in in the traditional restaurant setting, Torres made the move to the corporate environment. In 2013, Chef Torres appeared on Food Network's Chef Wanted with Ann Burrell, where he competed against three other chefs for a job in a top New York City restaurant. Ultimately, Chef Torres decided to decline that position to pursue his long-term dream of creating his own company, now known as Koa Catering. Obviously, uh, this isn't doing you justice. This is just scraping the surface about who you are and what you're all about. I can't wait to dive in, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Uh Destiny calls everyone, but only a few dare to answer. Destiny calls everyone, but only a few dare to answer. Why does that resonate with you? Um, because as uh, it resonates with me because I'm the small guy. And sometimes we don't have the opportunity to really um, take the leap of faith to go into your business for yourself. So I feel like I'm answering the call. 
um, I'm setting the path for people um, behind me um, to uh, move forward and try to get people at the Everest community up and uh, up and going. What do you mean by you're the small guy? You're not talking about stature, are you? Are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a small business. Uh, I am a small guy, but uh, I think I have a big heart. You know, nice. I love it. Great way to get this thing started. So uh, on that note of getting things started, where did it all start for you? When did you know this was going to be your career? I think I started in uh, 96, 97 um, when I was just uh, maybe a year after high school. I didn't know uh, the direction I wanted to be in. And like I came up in an era that they didn't have like the Food Network wasn't really a big thing. Um you know, with social media and everything like that nowadays, it was uh, it was something that I was really interested in, like watching Julia Child on PBS and things like that, that um, I decided to be a chef. And then once I got into it, uh, I fell in love with the lifestyle. Mm, that's you know, I think you're one of the few who fall in love with this industry uh, because of the stardom of, or like the, the watching people on TV and then actually enjoy it in real life because there's a kind of a disconnect there between what, what we see on TV and what the reality of it is. So what was that like for you um, having painting this mental picture of what it was like on TV than actually experiencing the reality of it? Oh, they're two different things, you know, <laughs> It was uh, a rude awakening, I guess, because uh, like working in restaurants is pretty intense. Um, and like I said, I came up in a different era, more so of like chefs of being like uh, like the Gordon Ramsay types, I guess. Um, it was hardcore. Um, but being from being from the inner inner city, I guess I, I kind of gravitated to that, and it was like my my speed like the intensity and things like that. Okay. Um, so you kind of, you, you know, fortunately you were kind of cut from that cloth where you like that intensity. You like to be abused, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so uh, what was it about? I mean, originally you said that you got into the industry because of what you're seeing on TV with Julia Childs, but really dive into what it was about the industry that made you fall in love once you experienced the reality of it. Well, for, well, one thing I, I'm not like a desk type of person. I wasn't, um, really, um, excited to be behind a desk or have a corporate job. So um, the industry provided something that was hands-on. And then once I got into the industry, once I got into the industry, I realized that being a chef and being in the kitchen um, was very much so a team effort, that the camaraderie that you build, the, the, the relationships you build, and it's sort of like a controlled chaos that you know I kind of fell in love with. Yes, I love it. Um, so when did you start living intentionally? I mean, uh, were you working in restaurants before going to school? No, I wasn't. I, I didn't have no experience. Um, I didn't have any insight into that world because um, growing up, I didn't have anybody that was in the restaurant industry. Um, but I started as a, a dishwasher. My first restaurant job was at a, a restaurant called Cafe Gallery. I don't think it's there no more. in uh, Burlington in Burlington, New Jersey, which was like, they did a lot of like classical French stuff. But then I went in there as a dishwasher and I really wanted to move up. But so I became the best dishwasher they had at that time. Nice. This is, 
20 years ago, you know? Yeah, man. I think that, you know, just take what you can get and then prove yourself and create opportunities for yourself. Sometimes we just wait for opportunities to be given to us, but we got to earn those things. And we do that by busting our ass and getting and creating those opportunities and, and people seeing something in us and saying, we got to move this guy up because he, he, we know he's not reaching his full potential where he is right now. I agree. I agree. Like when I went for that interview, I dressed up in a suit to get a dishwashing job. Nice. So. So wait, so I'm uh, curious, you, you didn't have a restaurant experience before going to school. So you went to school, you got your associate's degree, and then you started as a dishwasher? No, like during school, I, I started, I started, I picked up a job while I was in school so I can start getting the experience um, because I think school and real life applications are two different things. So when I was going to school, I understood that I was behind the curve. So as I was going to school, I, I went at after school, I would go to this job and start washing dishes. Mm. Man, I love the hustle. And, you know, it's just, again, going back to creating those opportunities uh, for yourself. Nobody's going to do it for you. So uh, why why this restaurant? I'm curious. Was it this like a leading restaurant? Was this like at the time, like the best restaurant in town? Was there a reason why you picked this restaurant? Um, it was close to where I was staying at at the time. And it was probably the best restaurant in that area. Um, and I, I was a young kid, so I wasn't like driving too much. And in Jersey, it's kind of difficult to maneuver when you don't have like a car. Um, I got you. That makes sense. You got to do what you can do. Um, so you graduate, uh, and you, uh, start working for some of the best restaurants in Philadelphia. I mean, what was that like after graduation? What was your plan? Did you just take the first job that was given to you? Like, how did you start living intentionally? I started living intentionally. Well, I moved I was I was staying in Jersey at the time. So then after I graduated, I moved into Philly um, with another, you know, I, I had a roommate. Uh, he was another fellow chef with me as, as well. So the first I just went to like one of the more uh, commercial restaurants called the Mashalu, which is like the boat. OK. By the pier. And then um, I started to have uh, formulate like a game plan, meaning, all right, now I, I by that time I was already. Um, past the dishwashing phase and more into like the prep appetizer phase and, and and knowing that I had to learn each aspect of the kitchen in order for me to reach my goal of becoming a, a an executive chef. Okay, so what did that plan look like? Uh, like lay that out for us. Okay, so initially was for me to get inside Philly first and then to try to assess the scene. And then once you, you know, working in the industry, you 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 begin to like, hear you know rumors and the better people to work for the better companies to work for so a little bit shortly after that i started working for steven star and his restaurant group mm. what was it about steven star and his reputation that appealed to you i think his business model and you know he was be at that time he was uh beginning to be like successful he had the best uh chefs there he had the best quality of uh, like a business model that I wanted to really uh, absorb and learn from. What do you mean so, by business model? What was it about his business model that was appealing? Um, his business model was like he he would he had different concepts. Um, he always brought in like the 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 good chefs, the best chefs, uh, the, maybe the high profile chefs at that time, and then um, working with them, they also they were very structured and organized. And um, they always had like the they had the best teams out there. 
and everybody, all the the, the talent kind of gravitated to Stephen Starr. So not only the chefs, but also like line cooks, grill cooks, sous chefs, um, the talent was kind of gravitating in Philadelphia at that time. Why was this instinctual? What, what was going through your mind saying, look, if I want to be the best, I got to go work for this guy because, you know, what was going through your mind? What made you think that? Um, I... I, I don't really have an answer for you, Eric. I was just, there was something that was inside that kind of uh, pushed me. Like it was more instinctual than it was uh, mental. And it was just something that, you know, coming from my type of background that I felt that I needed to challenge myself. I needed to um, be around the best. So at that time too, that's when like Amade Cuba and Elvez was opening up, which were part of his. And then, like Douglas Rodriguez was the the the, the conceptual chef of Ama de Cuba that I really wanted to work for because he was doing the food that I wanted to do. Like he was elevating the Latino type of cuisine um, into the next level. Yeah, the reason the reason why I'm putting so much emphasis on like why did you want to go work for these people because that is one of the biggest lessons I've learned. If you want to be successful in this industry, you got to go get on the teams of the most successful people because you're going to surround yourself with people who are going to lift you up. Uh, in if you want to be the best, you got to surround yourself with the best because you will be the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. And if you're just going taking any job with no intention, you're never going to grow. You're just going to stay ordinary. So that was instinctual for you man but it was spot on man absolutely i think so well that team at that time was really great um i can't even um i'm really grateful for that time because the 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 level of talent at at amadekuma at that time uh was really really extraordinary like all of those chefs now have like their own companies and um they're doing big things you know what i mean so really reflecting back how old are you at this time this is we're looking at like 2000 uh this is 2000, Maybe. 2001, 2002. Yeah. Yeah. Around that time. So yeah. You're like 19, 20, 21. Yes, sir. So what were some of the biggest lessons like going prior to getting this experience with all these great restaurants? You, you go to this environment, you're on this, this A-list team with incredible people. What are you learning about these people? What are you observing about them? How do they conduct themselves? What, what were the big takeaways from that experience? That you have to be all in, you have to be invested in what you're doing. Um, you have to make sure that, yeah, your head is in the game, that, you know, the level of focus and the level of, uh, of, uh, work was really on a high level that just to make sure that, yeah, that you didn't have time to play around or play games, you know, yeah. And you really had to be on your, on your A game in order to even, uh, sustain working at these places. Cause I've seen people come and go that couldn't make it, um, that you just have to really be all in and invested into what you're doing. The ones that couldn't make it, why couldn't they make it? What was it about these people reflecting back that you think made them not be able to make it? I think it's attitude. Um, I think it's attitude and not being open and being receptive to uh, constructive criticism, to feedback, um, to being pushed. Some people don't like being pushed. And I think all those, all those aspects really um, push you and drive you um, to be a better chef, to be a better person. Um, I think the, the, the type of characters we had at that kitchen or in those kitchens was really beneficial to my growth. So when they approached you and said, Hey, like, here's some constructive criticism. Here's what you can do to be better. What was the conversation inside your head? What did that look like? Were you defensive at all at any point or were you suppressing those like maybe anger, uh, or like 
defensive feelings? Like what, what did that look like inside your brain? It did. I was very defensive and, you know, nobody wants to be uh, criticized and all that. But I had uh, good friends there that would pull me to the side after, let's say, discussions with chefs and stuff. And being, and, and, and really, um, I was lucky to have people to really explain to me and guide me that it was more about um, learning and growing and, lear- and, and to put me in a better position than to be like a, a than it being a negative uh like they were trying to beat me up in, in in a sense that it wasn't that I shouldn't take it like that, that I should take it with, uh, I should be, I should take it with a positive aspect and, 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 and really apply what they're saying to me. And that really made a difference in the work as I keep kept progressing. That's a huge lesson right there as a mentor, as somebody who's in a position where we're molding this next generation. When you give somebody constructive criticism, you should explain to them, Hey, the precursor i'm telling you this because you got what it takes because i see the potential in you and i i think you can do it even better and i want you to take this and learn from it and and, you know if if you come from a place there's a reason why i'm saying this i'm not just trying to break you down i'm trying to bring you up uh i think it's so much more receptive what do you think about that it is receptive you know and something that i've learned along the way was you know um like reprimand in private and encourage in public so I thought the approach with them, they never um, did anything to embarrass me or to um, um, in front of my other colleagues. They would take me, they would you know, explain the situation and what I had to do to correct some of um, the mistakes that I was making or if I wasn't focused on the right thing. So I thought that was uh, tremendous in my development is having mentors to, to, to kind of uh, show me the way because me coming from um, the inner city, like, again, um, sometimes you don't get taught those uh, lessons and you get real defensive and then it's easy for somebody to give up where the encouragement of my mentors, uh, my peers was really uh, instrumental in my growth. Mm. So you're we're still with the Stephen Star restaurants. Any other big lessons, any other like aha moments or transformative moments for you during this time? I think that whole era was uh, a major, a major uh, shift in the way I approach um, my career. Um, yes, because working with professionals and not in, you know, let's say lesser known restaurants that it, it gave me a sense of pride. It gave me a sense of, uh, of, of ambition and, and to continue the work and, and to be surrounded by uh, great people. Um, I think teamwork is really teamwork makes the dream work, you know, um, that's so true in restaurants. And uh, that's probably the biggest lesson is to to really be involved as a team and working as a unit that you can't I can't do what I do by myself. It's my team that really makes me look good. Give me something specific on that note of teamwork and what that looked like in these restaurants. All right. Well, it looks like something like, you know, if everybody's doing their job right uh, or doing what they're what they're responsible for. Let's say if I'm on the grill, but then I have uh, a veg person and saute has their their um, their assistant, then appetizers and then the chef is expediting with the runners and everything is like kind of like a like an orchestra and the chef is the conductor. And then when everything is fluid and you're having a good night doing like a Saturday night, 500 covers and there's no sent backs. Um, there's, uh, 
the, the, the guests are happy and we have a, uh, we, we can celebrate at the end of the night that we did a good job, that everything is just fluid, everything is coordinated and everybody's working um, in synergy, I would say. What happens when the shit hits the fan, chef? <laughs> when the shit hits the fan, <laughs> uh, it's like a deer in headlights. You know, I think it's happened to me. It's happened to probably everybody that I've known that, you know, sometimes when you're going down and in the shits, you know, it's just, I think it's important to have like strong sous chefs and other leaders within the kitchen to come and help and assist you. So there were times when at the beginning, that I had strong leadership that they came and kind of righted the ship. And over time I became one of those leaders that, you know, you have to jump in and you only as strong as your weakest link. So uh, I think leadership is a a big part of writing the ship when just shit hits the fan and you got to push through, you got to push through. What's that look like though? When when the, 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 proverbial shit does hit the fan and we got to jump in and help people out. What like how should we conduct ourselves in that situation? Like, what does that look or done right look like? I think done right look like is like if let's say you're in the in the weeds and you have to sometimes as you know as a man you have like ego and pride. Sometimes you have to accept the help mm. and um, not even accept it, but ask for it before it gets to a, a point where it's going to really ripple, right? Yeah, but sometimes we don't you don't realize that when you're a young kid trying to like prove yourself, you know? So I think that's very important is to ask for the help when you need it. Yeah. Like I'm going down, I'm sinking hard and can you just uh, bail me out? You know? Yeah. And you know, you bring up a really good point. We don't, as a young guy, you don't know to, you don't know better to ask for it. And what, one thing that's come up a lot on the show is that you as the, the, the stew chef or the executive chef need to make that part of your culture. And known that if you need help, I'll be more pissed off at you if you don't ask for it. And it gets to the point where it it screws us all over than if you do ask for it and we are able to prevent something much worse from happening. And that came from Chef. uh, uh, Oh, man. I can't think of his name. Chef Hal Holden. Uh, out of uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And that's one thing that he does in his kitchens is he lets it be known. If you need help, you better ask for it because we can do something about it before it gets really bad. What do you think about that? I say that's a sound piece of advice uh, to ask for help when you need it. Um, I I think that's that's come with me over age. And um, there's people in my life right now that have helped me, but I think I'm more acceptable for asking for help instead of just uh uh going down you know yeah so let's let's kind of move forward with your career uh you spent some time with douglas uh, rodriguez uh jose garcia's uh any big lessons from these restaurant groups anything that you didn't know go like everything like i guess evolutionary points for you yeah it was just the way they conducted their business it was like they were very professional very organized and um i think that uh, like it was more the the, the business a- uh, acumen that they provided, the structure of uh, of implementing, like building restaurants, opening up restaurants, and the, the the infrastructure that they implemented in order for for the systems to really progress and, and move forward. So they kind of uh, showed me the way of of of, of organizing. At, 
implementing systems, implementing infrastructure, and um, leading. All right, so we got to go deep, Chef. We can't just say uh, you know the importance of systems and structure. Like, what is that? What does that look like? Get specific. Give me something that we can take away. Uh, specific is more so. All right, uh, making sure that your inventory is right, making sure that your you know your your processes are in order, like as far as um, menu development, recipe writing, making sure that you're teaching, guiding, counseling, um, the, the, the lower level staff, that training is a critical part of uh, ensuring that the product is going to be consistent. Consistency is very important in my industry because um, sometimes people can do it right one night, but the, the goal is to do it the same every night for years and years. Um, so they taught me how to really implement, like if the pieces and the cogs change, that the system doesn't change and then it really um, fortifies what they're doing. So if we lose a line cook, cause that happens all the time. Um, people come and go that, that the system is still in place that the, the the ships continues to run. So it's more about like prep sheets, uh, inventory, uh, making sure you're doing line checks, making sure that you have leadership in place in order for you to um, remain consistent and not lag off. Because if you go to a restaurant after a year and then it, I, sometimes guests will be like, it's not the same as it was last year. So to create that consistency, to create the the objective of implementing, like let's say Elvez and Ama de Cuba, that their level, they've like Ama de Cuba has been around for 15 years, but, and they still operate at a high level. So I think it's the, the leadership and um, creating the machine that it can run without um, certain people in place that they can go on and move up and do things like that. Mm. I mean, I'm tempted to go even deeper because I feel like I agree with you. We need those, those, those systems, those processes in place uh, with the inventory, inventory and just all these things. But can you give us like something specific, even more specific as to like what that done right looks like? Is it possible to go deeper? I, uh, it can be like without getting, well, you want me to get like, uh, like technical and stuff or I mean, I, 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 I'm getting to the point of the show, honestly, uh, that where I feel like I just I don't know if it, is it possible to paint a picture of what these processes look like, of what perfection or as close to perfection looks like uh, to really paint the picture of, of how we where we are in our restaurants. Are we doing these things? You know what I'm saying? Well, not all restaurants do that. I think it, it all comes down to having leadership and structure, meaning um, if everything is organized and everything is uh like laid out um, because sometimes you have to make it simple, easy, stupid in order for you to really uh, train people. So you can't make it complicated, even though these companies are complicated within themselves. But it's just all right. So when you're opening up a restaurant, you 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 overstaff, you hire more staff people to come in because usually people drop off. But then you start to implement the menus and you start to do mock uh, like mock dinners and have family uh, friends and family come in. And then that's how you work out the kinks before you even open up. And then when you open up and let's say like a restaurant like Elvez, they were busy from the gate that 
you're pushing, you're pumping, um, all this, the chefs aren't even on the line to making, to, to ensuring that the quality of the product is still going out. So it's just uh, all hands on deck, making sure that everybody's invested into what they're doing. Because if you have people that aren't um, committed to, committed to making sure that they're, they're putting out a good product, then there's, those are issues that the chefs and the sous chefs and the leadership has to address um, sooner than later. So I think it comes down to leadership that they need to recognize when um, things are slipping through the cracks, when things aren't operating and not to get um, lazy or lackadaisical because it's easy to get tired. You know, you're working long days, long hours, but you have to stay consistent. So um, sometimes only the strong survive. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right when you say you got to keep, you know, it's the the importance of that that leadership to keep those standards. And on, on top of that, I think you also need to really spell out what that standard is and make that picture of perfection clear, then put people of discipline in place to to hit those standards every time and then everyone below them seeing or you know i shouldn't say below i don't like that idea of like a hierarchy but they'll see this guy doing it to this level and they and then they bring that person brings all these people up to that level but you also said something that's really i think kind of getting even more granular super simple but and you said like you know simple easy stupid and that when you're building these processes when you're when do you know that they're perfect is when you can't make them any simpler any easier like like it's you gotta make it so dumb proof uh that you can't make it any more dumb proof uh to really guide these people and to make sure there's no way to 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 uh i guess uh veer off course from what the standard is yeah yes sir yes sir like you can't you can't sometimes you can't give them room for error as far as making it so simple, making it easy for them to like follow along that then things could slip through the cracks if you make it more complicated. I think you get complicated once the team has been together for a while, then you can start adding a little bit more uh, challenges, a little bit more level of difficulty into implementing some processes because of the team that's been together long. But at the beginning, the initial thing, you have to make it as simple and as easy as possible. Mm. So, Ultimately, 2018, not ultimately, but halfway through your career to this point, 2008, uh, you decide to leave the traditional restaurant environment and go into the corporate route. Any other lessons uh, up to this point that you want to drop on us before moving on? No, just keep pushing and don't get discouraged. And, you know, if you work hard and learn, 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 learn as much as you can. Uh, I think is very important because that those years were really critical for me in a development as a chef um, was just to stay open and not to get uh, too ahead of myself and always uh, work within myself. Mm. So 2008, you decided to go the corporate route. Why? Um, I think I went the corporate route because I felt it was more secure you know, I, I, I tried, I played it safe. I played it safe. Um, I played it safe, but then also, I also had an idea too that, you know, if I went to this corporate route, cause I worked for like a, it was like, uh, a business club, sort of like a country club, but it was, uh, like a business club. It was called the pyramid club. And I thought it was going to expose me to a different type of uh, clientele, which it mm. did. Mm. That's interesting. What do you mean by that? Go deeper. Uh, different cli- type of clientele because, you know, people have to pay a membership to go to this club, you know. Um, so they're, 
you know, they have like this level of exclusivity that, you know, let's say a uh, regular guest weren't allowed to come in here. So it was, it took my skills to, 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 to really treat my guests on a personal note. Like as far as, you know, I knew what all my clients and my guests liked, what their preferences were. I was able to create like dishes and meals for them according to what they wanted. Um, so, but it, it, it also created, um, relationships with these people but these are like high client people you know people that are like uh, own their own law firms business people people that are successful in order for them to uh, uh, have a membership at this club so I think it, it, it kind of surrounded me with not only culinary people but just successful business people so why does that matter what's going through your mind in 2008 are you thinking to yourself i want to be around these high profile people because fill in the blank what's the goal what's going through your mind at this time why you want to be here because you have to like in order for you to get to certain levels you have to surround yourself with people that are at that level already so those were like little lessons that I was like picking up along the way. So I thought I was pretty strong on the culinary side and I felt that the, the business side needed a lot more uh, fortifying. Like I needed to fortify my business acumen, but what better to do it than the people that are already successful, that are doing it, that are in a position that one day that I want to be in. So when you're seeing business people, you're talking about the people that are employing you, uh, or you're talking about the, the guests, the people that are, are surrounding themselves with you. Like the, just, just that level of, uh, I don't know if I said that well, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, were you interested in the guests or the, the yeah. business people behind the scenes? The, 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 the guests, cause the guests were the clients that were really, you know, I don't want to say it like this, but they had, you know, money, they had successful businesses. They were, you know, kind of, uh, prominent, uh, business people in Philadelphia. So, you know, the corporate environment was pretty much the same. I just kind of adopted and implemented stuff that I had already learned into that side, into the culinary side, the kitchen side. But for me, it was more about the guests and the clients that I was talking, like, uh, connecting with that were really, building the relationship with them that they were giving me insight into the business world. I, you know, I, I, I agree with you that you, you will learn by surrounding yourself with these people. You, you'll pick up lessons along the way. You'll see what they do. They, they start talking about the business and you just pick up this stuff or, organically over time. I'm kind of dancing around this other part of it too. Were you hoping that if you get in front of these people and you cook for them and you wow them, they would potentially maybe be a future investor. Would you think that maybe you're trying to surround yourself with the money? I did. Yes. Okay. Uh, which is not a bad thing, man. I mean, I was kind of hoping that would just come out. Uh, but you know, that's, you know, one thing I've learned doing so many of these interviews is that you never know where your, your future investor is going to come from. And if you're in an environment where there's money in people, good people, and you bust your ass for these people and they like you, they will, you never know where it's going to come from. Every moment of your life needs to be treated like a job interview because you could be cooking for your future investor at any time. If you treat it like that, it will happen eventually. I absolutely agree that every person you meet is an interview. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, and, and, and those opportunities did present themselves. Like, you know, I had a lot of offers for um, investment opportunities to open up restaurants and stuff like that. But I've kind of felt at that particular time, I wasn't ready. Why weren't you ready? 
Um, because I understood, you know, restaurant work is really uh, a risky business. Um, even I've known chefs that are really great chefs that, you know, things don't work out. Um, profit margins a little bit tight that, you know, I just felt that, you know, uh, to be honest, I was a little scared. Mm. I mean, I, I get it, man. Uh, but what in your mind, when you were looking and you were saying to yourself, I'm not ready, I need to be better at fill in the blank. Like I need to be, I need to hit this point. What, what did that look like in your mind where you needed to be? I think it was more mental than anything else. I think, you know, the money's out there. There's a lot of opportunities out there, but I think it's more mental than anything else. You know, like when you're working for these big companies and things like that, that, you know, you have that security. So I said, all right, so if I go out on my own, I don't have that security. And then also a big thing that's, you know, that I think about a lot, it's called uh, like like shame, almost like shame of, of failing. You know, like when uh, you fail, and people get embarrassed about that. So I was, you know, I think that's where some of the fear came in that if I do this and I open it up, you know, once again, I, I've I've known great chefs that open up restaurants only for them to close. So I was just tentative about that because of uh, what, what were happening to some of these good chefs out there that, you know, it can happen to anybody. It doesn't matter how good you are. Restaurants is a risky business that it, it, it is kind of... Uh, uh, intimidated me. So what are your feelings on failure now? Is it, I mean, this is going on where 10 years senior from that time of your life. What do you, how do you feel about failure now? Uh, I think, I think you have to fail. I think failure is, you have to welcome it a little bit because for me now it's more of a motivational thing. Um, the, the, the fear of failure is more of a motive, motivational thing. So I think I make mistakes, but as long as you learn from the mistakes, and keep growing. I think it's okay. Um, I think the fear of failure also motivates me to like wake up every day to push for my company and things like that. So I think my mindset is a little bit more uh, more hardcore now than it than it was back then. Yeah, I agree with you one hundred percent. And the most successful restaurateurs fail all the time. You only hear about the the good restaurants, but I would say. Uh, Probably like thirty percent of the restaurants that successful restaurateurs open don't make it. Yeah, the the, the only twenty five percent of new restaurants make it. Twenty five. That's the ratio. Yeah, that's, that's and that's not good. That's not a good percentage, you know. Um, so, <laughs> so I'm curious, uh, and I'm kind of happy you went here because um, you're one of the 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 people you worked for, and one of these people that you said that just had it down. Their systems were down. Uh, the people were amazing. They were great business people that had great concepts was Jose Garcia's and he just went bankrupt. So, I mean, that's another example of, you know, you can be on the top of the world. You can be at the, at the, the pinnacle of your game and, you know, things can still go wrong. I mean, what do you think went wrong there? What do you think was his issue there? Um, I know Jose, I think he's a, a, a I think he's a great chef. Um, I, used, I don't, I, you know, sometimes people don't know what goes on behind the scenes and, um, in order, I don't want to really yeah, I get uh, it. speak about it or anything <laughs> <laughs> just because like, you don't know what goes on behind the scenes. From my experience with him, I thought he was very, uh, he was, a, he was a good chef. He, you know, it was kind of like surprising to me that when it happened, um, but I don't know what the story behind the scenes is. So okay. you don't, you don't know what happens. You don't know like the situations and things like that. Think, um, you know, I think there's a lesson right there. If you don't know what the story behind the scenes is, don't, don't 
speculate and create rumor. Uh, so thanks for that. Like on the side lesson. Um, okay. Moving on. Uh, one other thing I want to ask you before kind of talking about more current day, what's going in your life now. Uh, you said you learned a lot about business. You, well, you joined the corporate side to learn a lot about business. What were some of the key lessons on, on business that you drew from this part of your life? Business is uh, just making sure that you control your costs and you're like you're really aware of how you're managing your costs, your money, um, cash flow. It's a lot of different things that, you know, wasn't about culinary. So I think right now being a chef is probably 30 percent of my job right now of like with my uh, with my business right now, I think. But there's a lot of other different aspects to it, like marketing, branding, um, accounting. Uh, <laughs> lead generation. It's all, it's yeah, it all keeps going, man. It goes on yeah. HR, you know, it keeps going and going, going. Um, so you learned this, uh, that, you know, there's so much more to the job than just cooking. Can you give me like one big, like lesson, one thing, one skill that you picked up during that time? I think it's, uh, managing your time. Mm. Why is that so important? Um, because to me, time is as valuable as money. Uh, time is money, man. <laughs> well, like me and my wife talk about it all the time. There's not enough time in a day, but then like trying to really uh, time management is really important that, you know, you can't do everything. You know, you have to put people in place to allow yourself the time to really um, grow your business. Yeah. So get specific. What new things did you start doing to manage your time? What did your life start looking like to get control of your time? And I'm right there with you, man. I, I actually, I would say time's more valuable than money because money, you know, it's out there, man. We can get as much as, it, as, as we want to, depending on how hard we want to work, but time that's not infinite. We only have so much time in a day. Uh, so, you know, what are you doing to get the most out of your day? How do you manage that time? What's that process look like? I think scheduling it, even for yourself, not like for my staff or anything like that, but scheduling your time, like actually writing out like a timeline of how your day is going to be scheduled, you know, like and allotting specific times for specific things. Like me and my wife had to uh, a lot time for us, you know, because yeah. she's doing her thing. I'm doing my thing. And sometimes, you know, we're working um, 16 to 18 hours a day, you know, and, um, just to make sure that we're allotting, um, the right task for the right time. And I think planning your days, I think it's very critical planning your calendars, uh, is real critical that everything has to be time specific and also valuing other people's time. Um, and not, um, always, maintaining a level of professionalism with other people's time because time is money for them too. So always respecting other people's time as well as your own. So as far as uh, scheduling out your day, is there a process that you follow, like a routine that you follow the night before or the morning of, I mean, how do you, do you have specific blocks of time that are, are, uh, are set aside in standard every day for a certain t- uh, tasks? Like what's that look like? I usually do, I usually do it at the beginning of the week, which is like Sunday, not Monday. Like I'm usually like scheduling my day, my week on Sundays. Uh, and then when I have like, uh, events, some bigger than others, everything is probably, uh, everything is catered around that as far as like, if I have like, you know, every week I have an event. So let's say the event is on Friday. So then 
I have Mondays and Tuesdays to do like more administrative stuff and things like that, where later in the week is probably more prepping and more in the kitchen work, making sure that the closer we get to the event, um, that all, everything is fresh, everything is good. But then we have to do a lot of, uh, logistics coordination. So I would say Sunday, um, is usually the, the, the time that I spend Sunday night, um, around maybe eight o'clock. That's the time that I usually try to set, um, my schedule for the week and making sure that I allot time for everything that I have to get done. Yeah. That reminds me a lot of, uh, something that I try to do, which is called win tomorrow today. I've heard it someplace where you try to win tomorrow today. And I, I, every night I try to do this. I don't always succeed, but what, what's my day tomorrow look like? Uh, what's my plan? What's most important What's the most important thing I do if I do anything? And then you schedule that first, right? And then you, you, just, you block out the time and you make sure that you're, you're focusing on the most important, the most urgent things, uh, which is huge. Um, great stuff. Okay. So uh, moving on, uh, you end up with uh, the Food Network. Uh, how did that opportunity come across you? Actually, that came, that came to me on LinkedIn. I thought it was a joke at first. Um, it came, somebody contacted me on LinkedIn. They had seen my resume, uh, and I kind of fit this certain competition. And I think somebody had, uh, uh, like withdrew at the last minute and then, uh, they contacted me. Um, so I played along. I was like, yeah, I'll be interested. You know, what's, you know, I'm really, I'm more about the work and not about the fame. If that makes sense. Um, obviously I want to make money uh, to survive and stuff, but it's more for me about the work. So I wasn't really, you know, I thought it was a joke. So once I said, yeah, I said, I'd be interested. They had a Skype interview and then I was in New York the following week. Mm. So, uh, anything to take away from this experience? I don't want to spend too much time here. I, I'd rather spend the, our, our remaining time on your current business today and how you grew that. But what, any big lessons you can draw from this part of your life? That part of my life, I would say, always focus on the work and don't get enamored by distractions. What do you mean by the work? What is the work? All right. So let's say during that whole experience, you know, um, during that, or that whole experience, you know, people get distracted by the cameras, by the whole show of it, where for me, I felt that I was successful because I was just focused on what I had to get done. Meaning like, so when they're talking and the cameras are in your face, I'm like, okay, all right, this first challenge is going to be, um, like, uh, whatever, whatever they want me to, to do. So I'm thinking about how I'm going to attack that problem within the time frame that they're allotting, allotting you. So I'm thinking about just trust the training, trust the work and everything will work itself out. So if you get distracted by the, the lights and the cameras that you'll get distracted and you won't give yourself 110%. So I think just staying, um, honed in, um, um, really kind of Man. about the work concentrate on what you do best and everything works yeah dude out. that's a huge life life lesson man right there and, and i feel like a lot of, like you you learned that at a weird point in your life um but it's so specific on just do the work i think we get so distracted on growth and uh you know uh recognition or 
I mean, there's so many different ways like to get distracted in this industry and to not focus on the work. But the truth is, if you just do the work, focus on what matters, you know, putting out great food and taking care of your people and both inside like your inner guests and your external guests, your, your, your team and your, your clients, your, your customers. If you just focus on the work, doing those things and just doing it better every day, that's when that external out, outward growth happens. Right. But it's that, that focus in deep work that will get you there. Any reflection? I would agree. Just focus on the work. I think the work usually, um, the quality of work usually comes out. If you just focus on the work, it usually gets like recognized. So mm-hmm. just concentrate on the work and um, try to just uh, put the blinders on from distractions. So you won the competition, yeah? Yes, sir. So uh, take us wh- through why you decided not to. to so the competition was you, you win this competition, you get a role in a, a great restaurant in New York City, but you turned it down. I turned it down, yes. Uh, <laughs> why? Uh, because I felt like I've like established myself in Philadelphia. I had a good life out here. Um, I respect Philadelphia as a food scene. I think there's a lot of great chefs out here that uh, I had created. And the, 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 the cost of living in Philadelphia is a lot less expensive than uh, New York City. And being from New York City, I understand the cost of living. And at that time, I was uh, financially... Uh, stable that I didn't feel like I needed to make the jump to New York City. I wasn't wasn't enamored by New York City. So you would have been making like the same amount annually in New York as you would have been in Philadelphia at the time, but the cost of living in New York is way higher. Way higher. Yeah, that makes sense. Were they pissed when you decided not to take the job? A little bit, a little bit. Um, But I I did some consulting work for them just to try to... uh, uh, to try to amend that relationship and to leave on good terms. I think that's another thing too, is about um, never burn bridges and always try to uh, foster relationships. So that was something that I felt bad on saying no, but I had to do what's best for me and my family. Was there anything else going on here besides the money and the reputation? Uh, was there anything else that didn't feel right? Um, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of things that, that went into the decision. I think, it's important to list your pros and cons. And I just felt that it wasn't, it might've not have been a good fit for me um, in the long term and abandon all the work that I've done in Philadelphia. So you have a better reputation in Philadelphia. That's where your roots are. Uh, You're going to be making the same amount of money, which you can spread further in Philadelphia. What's the third reason, the third big reason why this wasn't a right fit for you? Um, the third reason, I, I used to think it was more so um, like culture. Okay, As, I had a feeling, but I wanted to, I wanted it to come from you. What was wrong with the culture? <laughs> no, well, the, um, this restaurant was an established restaurant for a long time, and uh, they've had people there that have been working for them for over twenty years, and it was going to be challenging for me not impossible but challenging for me to come in there to try to change the culture of what they were trying to do um because you had when people are in a in, in a certain type of work for a certain amount of time they, they develop habits and you know it's one of those things that you can't teach an old dog new tricks so it was going to be something that 
I didn't feel they were going to be receptive to as far as changing and, and adapting uh, new uh, techniques and new skills and new um, whatever, because they already had their, their, their way of doing things. Mm. Man, that's a huge lesson right there. It, you, you know, you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. And it's not to say these were bad people, but if they're uh-huh. not on the same frequency as you, if they're not on the same wavelength, the same culture, you, you know, you, two things happen when you take two separate people or two groups of people and you put them together. Uh, they meet in the middle, right? And you're going to either, you're going you're to have to pull them up, but they're also going to pull you down or in a different direction than what you're used to. And are you willing to do that? Are you willing to, you know, it's, it's a real question you got to ask. Uh, there's a certain level of acclimation that goes in both directions and you got to know, am, like, am I willing to do that? Uh, would you, do you agree with that? I would agree with that. Well, I think you have to stay true to yourself mm. too. You know, I think that's important. And, you know, it was just something that I didn't think I, I had to trust my gut on that. Awesome. Um, okay. So you decide not to uh, go with this restaurant group. You decide to stay in Philadelphia. I mean, winning the show and that must have done good thing. That must have only compounded on your reputation. Did it? It did. But it, I think it did more so for uh, my confidence. And as far as where we were talking before about the fear and the fear of failing and things like that, that I, it kind of uh, took that away. And I was just like, you know what? Um, it, it really boosted my confidence and really gave me the confidence to start thinking about doing my own thing. So your esteem got to where it needed to be, where you kind of, you had this esteem about yourself that you, could, that you were capable, that you were able, that you were, that you were, uh, what's the word, I guess you just des- deserving, ready to go. Yes. Yes. I think that was a, a big uh, mental hurdle that I, I overcame when with that experience. Yeah. So did you go right into opening uh, co catering or was there a time in between? Did you win any money from this or? No, no money. It was no money. Well, like I did some consulting and, and I did get compensated for that. But then that's where it started. The, the process of uh, mental process of like, OK, this, you know, you have an idea. Let's put it on paper. Like I, I honestly, like I, I was thinking about opening up a restaurant, and then during that time, like I, going back to what we previously discussed about having investors and people like that, and um, I was going down that road for a while, and then um, just putting your ideas on paper, coming up with a business plan, and start planning. So around 2013, 2014, you know, I, it took me about a year to develop like a, a solid business plan that I was uh, comfortable with. Um, and it, it was a restaurant concept at first. And then um, my my girlfriend or my then present, my, my wife now, she was the one that was kind of uh, pushing me to like not have investors and let's just do it on our own. Why? Why? Why was that her rationale? Um, because with uh, investors and other people, they have their opinions and they have their influence that it wouldn't be a hundred percent ours. Um, that we wanted to have a hundred percent control of what we were doing. But you need the money. To, I mean, the overhead to open a restaurant is outstanding. How would you get that money? Well, that's why we, we decided to go with the catering because it wasn't uh, economically feasible to open up a restaurant with uh, the limited resources we had. Mm. I mean, I, I'm right there with you, man. Um, it, this you, you can't get into this work and be happy if you're doing it for the money. I mean, maybe some people out there are happy like that 
Uh, I'm right there with you. I'm all heart. Uh, and you got to have that free will to do what, what feels right to you. And if you get that taken away, whoever has the money at the end of the day makes the decisions. And, and if you get pulled in a direction that doesn't resonate with you, that's not right for you, then I mean, what's more important, right? Uh, that free will to, to do what you want with your business or to, to, you know, uh, make money, you know? Well, I think the freedom is very important. And, uh, you know, the, I, I was really apprehensive about the catering because it, because there's a stigma associated with catering, especially with the restaurant, uh, with the restaurant lifestyle. It's like, oh, catering is this or that, where I think um, there's a lot of great, great caterers really putting out like a great product. And I think that like there's me and a few others that are changing the stigma of catering. So wait, what do you mean catering is this and that? Be specific. Well, you know how you sometimes go to weddings or something like that, that the food is not, you know, it's not the best. And it's not like, let's say if you go to like a nice restaurant, you get that quality meal Mm. that sometimes when you get like a buffet or, you know, like it's more of a spread than it is on a plated dinner that sometimes the stigma is, is that, you know, it sits there for a while. It's not the best quality of uh, product or whatever. So, you know, I there's doing one dish really well and giving it all of your attention and focus. And then when you have to do 300 of that same dish, can you really put the same energy and quality into 300 dishes? I think, you know, you know, there's, there might be a level of sacrifice that might be, is that the way you're talking about? Yeah. Where, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And, but I try to really adopt a lot of restaurant uh, techniques and things that I've learned in the restaurants and adapt that to the catering side to make sure that I, providing like a great product and and, you know the the response has been really really positive and you had the background with the pyramid club uh as sous chef you did a lot of weddings there so you had a lot of catering experience yeah yes sir so i mean you're you're learning these new skills and you you know there's different verticals i mean did you shine with the catering was that one of your areas of strength when, when you were with the pyramid club uh yes yes i think um i think the pyramid club allowed me to really uh really hone in on my skills and and to really uh, have different areas of the food service that I wasn't exposed to before. So I was doing the weddings and then that was one of the ideas was that like, if I'm doing it for this company, I'm pretty sure I can do it for myself. Mm. So do you still have aspirations of one day owning a restaurant? Uh, Maybe so uh, later, like it's always a dream in the back of my head, but uh it's still in like idea phase, I guess. Mm. What was the hardest part about starting your company, your catering company? Any lessons you can drop on us there? Uh, there was a lot of things that you don't just a lot of things that I didn't know that I learned in my first year. I think my first year was more proof of concept to prove to myself that I can do it. Um, it wasn't more so about the money. It was more so about executing and to execute on a high level. And then uh, the second year was more right. Like we got to like add those uh, systems that we were talking about before and then really start growing the business. So I think proof of concept, um, knowing that you can do it and executing is uh, critical. So first year, you said there was a lot of things you didn't know. What did you know after your first year? Um, more so about uh, negotiations, pricing, uh you know, valuing your time and your product. Okay. So what did you learn about negotiating and pricing? 
Well, like at the beginning, you're just giving people on a deal because you're trying to get the client, you're trying to get the contract, and you might uh, sacrifice like cost and um, a lot of other areas in order for you to get these uh, parties. So um, after that, I was just like, no, I know what I'm worth. I know what I'm providing um, because then I would see other caterers too doing what they're doing and things like that. So I think I learned a lot more um, not charging for certain things and um, adding, um, adjusting my pricing to try to fit a, like a nice middle ground that it's not uh, so pricey that everybody can't afford it, but it's not cheap either. You know that I want to provide a fresh quality product. So it's it's a matter of finding the the balance of uh, making it affordable, but not sacrificing quality. Not not making it so affordable that you can't do what you're capable of doing. Exactly. Okay. What? Anything else from that we can take? Um. Just work hard. Um, don't think that you're going to be a millionaire overnight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. absolutely. Uh, the other thing you mentioned, too, that I want to just t- tap on real quick before we start to think about wrapping up. You said the second year was all about creating the systems. What made you, you know, wh- why are those so important? What, how, how has that helped you scale your system, your, your business since then? Well, it's all about time. It goes back to time. And, and I couldn't, um, like at the beginning, I was building out proposals from scratch, like, using word documents and stuff like that, where I had to really implement, um, more, uh, infrastructure as far as, um, like software and things like that, that helped me, um, alleviate time that I can just build them out, implemented, um, like an assistant, uh, administrative assistant to kind of alleviate some of those, uh, uh, the time is all about time. So making sure that I systematically put things in place in order for to free up my time to make sure everything looks pro- uh, professional. Um, you're working on your brand. You want everything to look clean, nice, um, because the, the the packaging of the product is very important to to clients. Yeah, and you know, you you make a huge point there. Just the the importance of systems because what a lot of people they they fail to do is they they don't realize that. Well, how do I say this? They, they create people dependent operations where the, the operations are dependent on the people in them and not on the systems in them. And then what happens is if that person leaves or something happens to you, then you're screwed because nobody else can do the work. But if you create the systems and are dependent on the systems where you can plug almost anybody into these systems and they can handle it, then you can free yourself up to go work on other parts of the business and to scale the business. And you can't do everything. You've got to use these systems to uh you know, add the structure to the business so you can focus your time and energy on other projects. Yeah. I think that's, it all comes to like the, the time and managing your time and you have to implement certain um, aspects in order to free up your time. But also, like you said, not be dependent on if somebody leaves your company that you're stuck and you have to go back. You want it to keep it consistent. You want it to keep it going and implement structure infrastructure that you know the company can um exist without you anything we haven't discussed up to this point chef that you want to drop on us before moving to the speed round no i think you pretty much uh covered my whole life (laughs) (laughs) all right Uh, well this has been a lot of fun we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back To be unstoppable, most restaurants require a little extra capital from time to time. It happens, right? Uh, When you need funding to like renovate or buy equipment or manage cash flow, you don't have time to just 
track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. And that is where Cabbage can help. Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. And if you apply online, you'll get a decision right away, which is pretty awesome. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You'll never have to reapply to take out additional loans, and you only pay for the funds you use. Yeah, you're impressed, and I haven't even gotten to the impressive part. Cabbage has helped more than 130,000 businesses from every industry with over $4 billion in funding. Like, awesome. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company not once, but twice. Check out Cabbage at Cabbage with a K dot com slash restaurant unstoppable and you'll get a $50 gift card when you qualify. That's Cabbage, K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash restaurant unstoppable. Line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. All Cabbage business loans are issued by Celtic Bank, a Utah chartered industrial bank member FDIC. Everyone loves processing invoice after invoice. It's the best. (laughs) Not really. Just the sight of a filing cabinet is enough to make you sick, right? It doesn't have to be that way. With Sorcery, there's no more manually processing invoices by hand and no more cutting check after check. With Sorcery, you can organize all of your accounts digitally, scan your invoices, and pay your vendors with just one click. It is easy. Sorcery offers fully managed accounts and statements reconciliation, so you no longer spend hours on the phone with your vendors and banks that stinks. You now have the peace of mind knowing your accounts are being taken care of, and you can get back to work doing what you love, running unstoppable restaurants. Go to GetSorcery.com, that's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com, or call one 800 Six six eight three zero zero six nine one. Mention Restaurant Unstoppable and receive ten percent off your first three months. And say goodbye to your old filing cabinet and hello to the digital world with Sorcery AP Automation. And we're back. The first question I have for you, Chef, is what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Determination. Determination. What is your biggest weakness? Communication. How are you trying to improve your communication? Uh, uh, like uh, always uh, reading. I read books about communicating better. What's oh? Mm, I'll I'll tap the brakes on that one. Save it for later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Uh, me being interviewed or dumb? I'm sorry. When you're interviewing somebody, when you're building a team, what are, what are the qualities you're looking for or the questions you're asking to get after what you're looking for? Uh, if people are willing to learn. Why is that so important? Um, because if they're open and they're not stringent, then they'll be uh, confrontational uh, later on if they're not willing to learn. What is a current challenge today? Current challenge today better ideas of uh, or a better quality of food and not um, not sacrificing quality for price. Exactly. How are you doing that? Um, resourcing pricing and quality of products. Uh, looking at uh, small local businesses. Okay. Uh, wait, say that one more time. I don't know if I got it. 
um, meaning like uh, small, like uh, like local local vendors as far as like butchers, uh, local farms and things like that. So the quality is always there. Got you. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a way to act, a way to be. Never be late. What's one uncommon standard of service you teach your team that might be standard with you and your catering group, but not standard throughout catering in general? Everybody's VIP. What's one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner? And this is what the one I was waiting for. So you mentioned uh, you read books on communication or some uh, books you have for us. Um, right now I'm reading uh, a book called uh, cash flow quadrant, which is more of a business book and the philosophy of, uh, of the different types of, uh, people that are in the workforce. Okay. What's one lesson you learned from cash flow quadrant? Um, that, that I'm in a quadrant of a uh, self-employed where I'm trying to transfer over to being more of a business owner, you know, because I'm a perfectionist. I like to do everything. I, I like to be hands on where I need to trust more of my team to, uh, uh, take off some of that responsibility for me. Okay. Uh, and it looks like that book is uh, Rich Dad's Cashflow Quadrant by Robert T. Kawasaki. Is that the book? Yes, sir. All right. Beautiful. I'll link that in the show yes, notes. Uh, and the next question is, what is one online resource or tool you reference to be a better catering operation? One online tool, or even for your own reference, a tool, maybe a, a, an industry online magazine or podcast or something that you go to reference, or even I don't know, like uh, anything that comes to mind online. Anything that comes to mind. I'm, getting, I'm trying to get better about asking this question. It's it's hard because <laughs> it's very uh, broad. Uh, but uh, what's something online that you leverage? Um. I think Google. I think everybody is Google. <laughs> You're talking like Google Docs? Yeah. Like Google. Google, the Google Suite? I do. I have a lot of my business um, resources are like with Google, Google Docs. Gmail. Um, Google, I, yeah, everything. Um, I think there are a lot of more resources now to really be an independent business owner that people don't take advantage of. Which is your favorite Google resource? Um, My favorite? I would say Google Voice, maybe. Oh, no. Google Calendar. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you're planning your week on Google Calendar. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, right. Great. Oh, okay. What's one piece of technology you've adopted in your catering company and how has it had a positive influence on operations? So you actually mentioned during year two that you started leveraging software and technologies to create systems in your business. Anything you can share with us that's had a really big impact? Um, I use uh, a company called uh, Total Party Planner, which has really uh, been a, a tremendous help for me. How has it helped you? It, it's kind of uh, the one shot, one spot shop for everything. It, it, it kind of handles my event planning. It holds my contacts. It holds all my menus, my recipes, and it kind of uh, it's all. Everything is in that one piece of software that it helps me coordinate everything. Beautiful. All right. This is the last question, but it's a doozy. Are you ready? 
I'm ready. If you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow, all the memories of you, your work, your restaurants, and your catering companies would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would they be? Um, work hard. Um, make the most of your time here. And love often. Chef, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, we wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator or caterer you admire and think would make a great guest mentor on the show? Call them out. I would say uh, Birch Tree Catering. Birch or Burke? Birch. Birch Street Catering. Who's behind that? Who's the guy I gotta, or gal I got to talk to? It's uh, two women. Um, I'm trying to see because... Uh, it's okay. <laughs> we don't want to put you on the spot. Well, I'll figure it out. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there, like, there's somebody that, you know, like I, I really like to... Uh, I look to, towards because they've been... They we're really similar. They've been around for eight years. And I really, they do a lot of sustainable, um, their catering is based on sustainable, like farm to table type uh, food. And I really admire that. And they're out of Philadelphia? Yes, sir. All right. Look up Birch. Was it Birch Street or just Birch Catering? Birch Tree. Birch Tree Catering. Look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And let the folks at home know how can we connect if we want to ask you questions, if we want to maybe come join your team, or maybe we want you to cater a wedding. We're in the Philadelphia area. That's the best way to connect. Um, you can reach me at, at coacatering.com. All right. I'll have yeah. that in the show notes. Uh, this is episode 481. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 481. I'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as links to the tools and books recommended all right over there. Again, Chef Torres, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your advice, your, let me say it again, your advice and a mentorship. You are unstoppable there's no questioning that thank you so much eric i really appreciate it (laughs) cheers chef ted torres dropping bombs of knowledge here at restaurant unstoppable what a great conversation today i had a blast some key takeaways for me first and foremost you know, let people know when you need help. Don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait wait until the mess has already happened. When you see the mess coming, when you see uh, you're, you're starting to reach that point of, oh, I'm going to screw something up. You know, ask for help then before before it's too late. And more importantly, if you are leading a kitchen or you're leading the front of house, if you're a chef or sous chef or general manager or manager, uh, set that culture. Let let it be known that it's okay to ask for help. Many times you get into these situations because you create that culture where you blow up on people if they ask for help or if they make a mistake, you blow up on them. Uh, let it be known that it's okay to ask for help. And I'm going to be happier if you ask for help if you, than what if you didn't. Uh, also, you got to make your systems dumb proof. Uh, we talk a lot about systems, processes, procedures on the show. They're so important. And even to, to compound on that, they're so important. So you can remove yourself from the day to day. So you can train and empower your people to do the work. So you can focus on other parts of growing your business or on growing your people. And you got to start freeing yourself up so you can do this. Also, uh, 
going to work where you can create opportunities for yourself. I love the path that Chef Torres took where he was intentionally going to these places where he could surround himself with people that could lift him up constantly. And when he got lifted to a point where he was on top of his game, he started thinking to himself, where can I go where I can surround myself with people that have a business knowledge and money to potentially even invest in me. And that's just so smart to put yourself in those situations where you can Im- impress people. You know, you're always on the job interview. Like we mentioned, you, you got to put yourself in the positions where you uh, have those opportunities. So it's up to you. You get to determine what happens in your life start living intentionally yeah awesome stuff today guys i hope you are finding value in this podcast i hope i'm serving you with this podcast if you are finding value and you want to contribute to that value shoot me an email eric at restaurantunstoppable.com tell me who you want to hear from tell me what your challenges are challenge what your challenges are i'll get somebody on the show uh we'll learn together we'll grow together and I also want to know what you guys uh, think of Restaurant Unstoppable. What do I mean by that? Like, what does Restaurant Unstoppable mean to you? When you think of Restaurant Unstoppable, what are the words that come to your mind? Uh, I really want to start getting some clarity on what it is that I'm trying to do here. And I I do want to build this into a community. I don't want to just make this the Eric Cacciatore show. I want to make this about us, the industry, people sharing knowledge, coming together uh, to serve one another. Uh, to move our industry forward in the right direction in a, in a better world. And I mean, that's kind of what I'm after. You know, that's, that's, that's what I'm trying to, to chase. But what does it mean to you? I would love to get some feedback as to how Restaurant Unstoppable has served you, uh, what it means to you and what this thing can be in the future. What are you, What's your vision for Restaurant Unstoppable? Let me know. Uh, I, I could really use that information. Please, please do let me know. Don't be shy. Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Eric Cacciatore on Instagram and Twitter. And that's E-R-I-C-C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E. Uh, that's a tough one. Connect with me, share your thoughts with me. I would love it. And uh, the best way to support what I'm doing here at Restaurant Unstoppable is by sharing this resource with anybody and everyone you know who's passionate about the hospitality industry. Uh, if we're going to uh, make sure that this advice is reaching those people that can use it, we need to share it. And, it, and it, you know, it's a matter of passing this this mentorship on to everybody. Uh, so let's let's share this. Let's not just keep it for ourselves. Let's let other people know that this this resources exist so we can grow together as a industry. All right, guys, I'm talking too much. It's time to say goodbye. I love you all. Until next time. Peace out.